Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre, based in St. Melitus College, which is a community of people studying and teaching Christian theology here in the UK and around the world. Graham Tomlin, Mike Lloyd, and the occasional guest join me, Jane Williams, in discussing God, life, theology, in fact, just about anything. Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of GodPod. And uh, we are here today, uh, myself, Graham Tomlin, who is always here, just about. I think I've been on almost every episode of GodPod since they it began. They don't work without you, Graham, you see. Well, I'm sure they probably do, but um, <laughs> anyway, we haven't tried yet, so maybe that's <laughs> it. Uh, we also have Jane, Jane Williams. As you can tell, yeah. As you can tell. Um, and we have a, uh, a special guest today, and we are delighted to welcome on the first time on GodPod, because I don't think you've ever been on it before. Uh, Jonathan Aitken. And um, so, Jonathan, welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, it's very good to have you with us. Um, so, for uh, many of you will know of Jonathan, if you're listening outside the UK, you may not know uh, Jonathan. Jonathan was a, um, uh, a cabinet minister here in the UK under John Major's government a number of years ago. And um, uh, uh, he's now retired from all of that. And um, Jonathan, we uh, particularly wanted to talk about your f- interest in and involvement in and in prisons, because um, you are, uh, you were just telling us, a trustee of 12 different Christian prison ministries, and so have quite a, a overview of uh, how the church, how Christian faith relates to those in prison. Um, and um, maybe good to just to start off with, um, just a brief introduction, especially for those who don't know you, how you got interested in prisons, how, how this has become part of your life. I got interested in prisons compulsorily. I was uh, <laughs> sentenced to 18 months uh, imprisonment for perjury. And there's no need to go into that whole story, but suffice it to say that while I was a cabinet minister, I, with reckless folly and moral failure, told a lie on oath in a law case. And uh, this was caught up with very quickly. So I pleaded guilty uh, and find myself heading off in a prison van towards Belmarsh Prison for uh, an 18-month sentence. And rather surprisingly, although I won't in any way minimize all the pain and the difficulties of that, surprisingly it was not a wholly negative experience because at that time I was also exploring a somewhat um, half-hearted Christian faith. I think when you're in bad trouble, you just got to go back to those Christian roots and disciplines, and had, in fact, what turned out to be a wonderful journey. It wasn't an easy journey, but through prison itself. So I've seen prison from both the painful practical side of being locked up, but also the perhaps lesser known side of how positive prison can be, mm. particularly um, if you are exploring your faith. And putting it at its most basic, um, cells, as monks discovered for centuries, cells are great places to pray in. And those huge amounts of uh, what are politely called bang-up time, when you're really on your own in your cell, uh, I found very fruitful. I also got into a prison prayer group, which was a huge eye-opener and a big step on my own journey. And um, then I had good relations with the chaplains, and um, then when I came out, I like to tell a joke 
just bearable, I hope, to a former vice principal of Wycliffe. <laughs> I went to the one place in Britain which had worse food and worse plumbing than a prison, which was Wycliffe Hall, Oxford, Anglican Theological College. Of which I was a teacher at the time. <laughs> and studied theology for two years. But putting it all this together, this was an enriching journey um, and not at all a wholly negative journey. Okay, yeah. You talked about the importance of that prayer group that um, met in prison. Were the other members like you or very different? Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, Completely different. The prayer group began because a young burglar, um, aged I think 22, Mm -hmm. with whom I was talking and doing a bit of amateur mentoring in jail, um, suddenly started to talk together about God. And he said, well, how do we pray? Show me how we pray, which I in a faltering, inadequate way, tried to do. And then he said, uh, well, let's do this tomorrow night, which we Hmm. did the night after. And then he said, well, this stuff's too good just to keep to the two of us. And I thought he meant he would um, bring another fellow burglar in to make our little twosome or threesome. (laughs) Not a bit. This particular young man had great reserves of energy and Indeed, he had some of the qualities of a good recruiting sergeant. <laughs> so he shot off around the jail saying, anyone want to come and pray with me and Jono tonight? And a most extraordinary collection, about eight or nine people assembled. I always remember there was a blagger who's an armed robber. There was a big dipper who's a top pickpocket. There were a couple of lifers who were serving sentences of murderer. There were Burgers, goodness knows what, certainly gave a new meaning to the Christian term, a cell group, as we (laughs) (laughs) settled down to pray together. But we then prayed night after night after night. And I was not at all its teacher. Mm. I was its greatest learner. But it was a very enriching experience. Mm. So you found prayer quite a significant part of your time in prison. And I guess I, I I, I came across a statement some time ago that you, you know, you're more in the UK these days. You're more likely to become a Christian if you go to prison than you are if you go to university. Um, and that's largely because of the number of agencies that are working in prison. But that sense that people find find God in prison, and that a prayer suddenly becomes uh, a reality in a way that it sometimes doesn't in the kind of normally normal kind of run of life. Is that something you found what during your time there and since then, going back into prisons and dealing with prisons? very much so. Um, Prison is a strange mixture of different currents and different electricity. But one of the currents is that people who arrive there often really know that they have screwed up badly. Mm. They are on the floor and they are feeling a great deal of pain. Some are angry and in denial, but there are a lot of people who really wonder if there's anything they can do. And they've heard about prayer and so they reach out to God uh, in often a rather fumbling way. But um, and I don't think this is entirely surprising. I think Luther in his table talk said somewhere, it is in our pain and in our brokenness that we come closest to Christ. And uh, I found that a lot of these guys were longing for some navigation points, some ways to um, express things that they really were trying to say, uh, but couldn't say it to anyone, that they were, for example, truly sorry, uh, and that they wanted to find new paths. Uh, and this was, of course, a very exciting environment in one sense, because um, 
prisons can indeed and often are to some people places of penitence, places of redemption, places of transformation. And it happens all the time. It's just not as well recognized as perhaps it should be. That is part of prison life in many cases. I'm very glad you mentioned Luther. I'm normally the one who mentions Luther on this. So it's nice <laughs> to have someone else doing it for a change. But, um, and Jonathan, after that experience, you, you went on to study theology, as you mentioned. Um, and uh, did you find, were there sort of resonances as you studied theology? Were there things that you found yourself studying and thinking about in your theological study that sort of shed light upon or connected with your experience in, in prison? Did you find, were the two like different worlds or were there connections that you made? I discovered, not least because of good teachers and good Bible studies, that there are tremendous links um, in the Bible and in Christian theology between prisons and um, uh, Christian teachings. I had a sort of special interest in the Psalms, and the Psalms contain at least 20 references to uh, prisons and prisoners. Um, and um, that uh, perhaps the most poignant of all, although it doesn't actually mention prison, but it's sometimes called the prisoner's psalm, is Psalm 130. And it's called it because uh, Oscar Wilde, when he wrote his prison autobiography, he called it De Profundis, and it begins um, uh, with uh, uh, that particular version of the psalm, which opens with the words, Out of the depths of I cried to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice, O Lord, be attentive to my cry for mercy. And you can see why it would resonate with prison. It's got everything. It's got God's offer of forgiveness. It's then got some very realistic bits in it, like, you know, you may have to wait a long time. Mm. It's a marvelous verse of Hebrew poetry uh, called double called parallelism, double repetition. It says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits more than the watchman wait for the morning, more than the watchman mm. wait for the morning. It doesn't take much of a stretch of imagination, sort of more than the prison gates being unlocked, more than the I wait for the Lord. And then it's a great promise of redemption. So that's just one psalm. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can find, um, of course, in the New Testament, um, there are a great many references to prisons mm -hmm. and prisoners. And um, Jesus himself was a prisoner uh, during the immediate days before the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. So um, prison and theology need to be connected up. It's always struck me as something. I mean, you mentioned... Jesus being in prison, and I've always um, pondered upon that 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 idea that you know very often in the New Testament, um, the people who end up in prison are the most often the the good guys. It's St. Paul and Silas and Peter and and um, you know John the Baptist and, and and those kind of people. Yes, you get you know Barabbas and Satan in the Book of Revelation, kept under lock and key for a thousand years and so on. But very often it's the good people who, who end up in prison. And of course, you know, many of the early Christians ended up in prison uh, for their for their faith. But I suppose particularly focused on that insight that, that, that Jesus himself was in prison. And I've often thought about how, um, if, if that's true, then, you know, that the most surprising person you meet in prison is, is, is God, because God himself in the person of Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, touched prison life. And if you go to the, um, you know, the doctrine of recapitulation, the great sort of early church um, 
uh, theology of Irenaeus and others that you know that, that, that in Jesus Christ God has entered into every part of human life to redeem every part of human life. Uh, therefore, prison should be, in Christian theology, it seems to me a place of redemption and can be a place of redemption because it's been touched by God in in the person of Jesus Christ, um, and everything that God touches can be redeemed. And that, uh, and I suppose. Uh, what that leads me on to is, is the question of Mark about how, you know, if, if in a Christian view of a prison, prison should be a place of redemption, of restoration, of of, um, of rehabilitation. Uh, so often our prisons aren't that way. They, you know, you look at reoffending rates, and it seems that so often they can sometimes make things worse rather than make things better. I mean, what are your sort of thoughts on why that is, and uh, what is it about? prison that could make it a better place of redemption and why is it sometimes a place where actually it seems to confirm people in patterns of behavior that have been destructive so far? I think in the mid-20th century onwards we have sort of lost the plot a bit about prisons. What's the point of them? Certainly to lock up dangerous people, certainly to punish people, but our Victorian ancestors were very keen on the rehabilitation uh, and the redemption of prisoners and there were great books and there were mm. wonderful reformers like Elizabeth Fry and others who thought this was absolutely central and this has faded a bit. I don't think it's faded in an idea but in terms of implementing the idea mm. and um, the state doesn't do all these things that well. Um, and it conspicuously fails to be much good at uh, rehabilitation and uh, getting the um, uh, reoffending rate down. And yet there is wonderful work being done, uh, but on the whole, not by the great agencies of government. If you can find marvelous charities which do terrific work, um, and um, they are have all sorts of famous names, Prison Fellowship, Caring for Ex-Offenders, and they really do a job which the state, for some reason or other, doesn't do well. And presumably a lot of that has to be after people come out of prison. Um, uh, you can get them so far in, in prison, but if they're going to actually re-enter a productive life, there need to be ways of helping them connect. Mm. Did you find that difficult when you came out of prison? Did people treat you differently? I was very nervous when I came out yeah. of prison because I thought people would treat me differently. Yeah. Actually, they didn't. I mean, I was pleasantly surprised by how um, warmly I was greeted. Of course, I was going into a completely different world. But I think um, this business about outside prison and inside prison needs um, a bit more thought certainly than the state has given it. Um, the state has the idea that... Um, one of the things they sounds rather good. Um, meet them at the gate, they say. Mm. Now, uh, this is a flawed concept. Uh, I'll try and explain why. Um, certainly, I remember the day I came out of prison. It was about as confusing a day as could be. A mixture of euphoria, fear, anxiety, excitement. Just to, if at that moment, uh, a, a sort of nice gentleman in a suit come up and say, excuse me, I'm your mentor, I'd like to help you. <laughs> and it's no good starting from there. And where it should start is building a relationship while 
in prison. Mm. And I think Christian mentors, Christian volunteers, empowered by chaplaincies, could do wonderful work. When a guy is in the depths, then someone comes and talks and gets to know you a bit and says, well, I'll try and help when you come up, and is there then mm. uh, at the gate. Um, that, I mean, the best mentoring should begin in prison and not mm. on release. Mm. Mm. I, I found it very touching what you were saying about this person asking you, how, how do we pray then? Has anybody ever asked you that outside prison? No, <laughs> but I can remember anyway. And I was completely inadequate to talk. If I belonged to anything else much before going into prison, I belonged to the church protestant wing of Anglicanism, <laughs> and we didn't do praying out loud. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and I was hugely moved by people who were uninhibited in yeah. prayer. And one theological thought I take away from my prison prayer group is, of course, at the end of every meeting, and they went on a long time, in two hours and night after night, we used to pray. And people addressed God in different ways, mm. um, often rather bluntly, but still, just in the terms of the first bit of the address, lots of the guys would begin rather traditionally, Our Father, or O Father God. Others would pray, O Lord Jesus, because they wanted the things that Jesus stood for, mm. love, mercy, compassion. The guys who were saying, Our Father, had in many cases never had a father in their mm. own lives. Got no, so they longed for a, a rock of paternal trust. That's what they're praying about. And then uh, other people, particularly perhaps those who were having drug problems, prayed, oh, Holy Spirit, come and empower me to give up this wretched drug I, I'm hooked on. And if you listen to those prayers, suddenly I got far more than I ever got from any Trinity Sunday sermon or lecture, a picture of the three persons of God mm -hmm. connecting up in the most practical mm -hmm. ways. And just thinking again about this whole idea of um, rehabilitation and, and um, redemption, in your experience, what's, what's, what's the key to that? Because it seems to me that you know, prisons, in some ways, you could see prisons as a very extreme view of actually what happens anywhere. Um, I guess in prisons you get a mixture of people who are pretty nasty people, but you also get people who just made a bad mistake in some point of their their life. You get a whole mix of people um, going through these rather kind of extreme experiences. Um, but actually, in some ways, theologically speaking, you know, we don't make any great distinction between prisoners and those who aren't. There's a sense of we're all sinners who need redemption. And so I wonder whether there are some lessons from what we see in prison and, and redemption happening there that could be learned for the sort of church outside. In, in, in terms of what, you know, what is, in your experience, the key to redemption? What makes a person turn around? What are the sort of experiences, things that happen that actually does bring about that kind of change? Prison is full of people at first glance, who are in denial, often very angry denial. And they will explain to you about how they didn't do the crime at all, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. In my observation, one of the rather wonderful tests is the validity of repentance. Mm -hmm. Did people, were they really sorry? Mm -hmm. And um, well, was it just sort of some sort of lip service when parole reports were coming around to be written? But they really feel sorry. And again, going to a biblical test, John the Baptist, in the first or second chapter of most of the synoptic gospels, says words to the effect of, 
those who repent will show the fruits of their repentance. And I remember O'Meara oh, Little Faith being stunned at this prison program how <laughs> people started to throw away their porn magazines or stop swearing or mm. extend the hand of friendship to the pariah prisoners on the wing or be civil to prison officers. And the most testing thing of all, the people who really fought against addiction. Um, so I think it came down to very ancient biblical concepts about um, those that truly repent. Uh, only God knows. Um, there is a, a subtle difference with you two great theologians worth exploring between rehabilitation and redemption. Um, and rehabilitation can often, certainly in a prison, make sort of tick in boxes. You know, has he done an anger management course? Uh, does he now know how to, to operate a screwdriver? And that's rehabilitation. Redemption is, of course, God's business, not man's business. None of us will really know the side of the grave. <clears throat> but uh, you can, I think, feel it, uh, the sincerity. And um, uh, in this program, I may say, not as though everyone was getting redeemed. I mean, we had lots of people who dropped out after a couple of sessions saying, you know, that God, he hasn't sent the holy electrical energy down to get me my mm -hmm. parole granted <laughs> on Tuesday. Yeah. You know, I'm not coming yeah. again. So yeah. there was, uh, but there were people who just realized that prayer was a process of building a relationship with God. Mm. And the wonderful thing about prayer is all that time you can keep on meeting yeah. night after night. People used to look forward eagerly. We had to split the prayer group into two because it was oversubscribed. Mm. And there is a sense in which um, I sometimes think we don't encourage people to say sorry and mean it in uh, a lot of our society. We're quite superficial. Um, so, I mean, people on the tube will say sorry if somebody stands on their foot. But the, but the, the sense of real repentance is something we often sort of skate over rather than encouraging people to face it, as though we don't actually think it's very good for people nowadays, actually, to look at... And also, yeah, it's always struck me, one of the very significant things we do in Christian worship is to is to, is to to confess our mm. sins. You know, we are made to say this prayer mm. of confession, which you think there's hardly anywhere else in contemporary life where you're actually expected to do that. And we do it together, including the, yes. the person leading the service, all of yeah. us together. Exactly. That's um, right. Before yeah. each other and before God. We, As you say, it, it can be a slightly, you know, matter of course, you yeah. know, yes, it's the confession we go through it without really sort of thinking about it very, very much. But at least it's something when in mm. the middle of Christian worship where every single person, you know, whoever is there, you know, whether it's the Archbishop of Canterbury or whether it's the mm. sort of simplest Christian, everyone has to do the same thing, which actually is to say, genuinely, you know, I messed up. Not give excuses. You know, well, I was a bit tired or I was a bit, you know, mm. hungry or whatever. But confession is confession. And that seems to be quite a significant thing that we do in Christian worship, that we give people an opportunity to say sorry. Um, and I guess one of the tasks is, as you say, Jane, to make that into something that is that is real rather than just a, a kind of rather cursory thing. Because you saw a lot of denial in prison, but there is a lot of denial oh, yes. everywhere, yeah, isn't there? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Uh, coming to the point of realizing that you might need to say sorry profoundly and mean it is it, there's a lot that militates against that in our world. I think this perhaps goes to the real meaning of the word repentance, which uh, I think is rather an inadequate word in the English language, and it sort of has 
connections with sort of saying sorry, sometimes rather meaninglessly over and over again, in the old days wearing sackcloth and ashes. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, uh, at Wycliffe I was made to learn Greek, and I now know what the Greek word for, meta, for repentance is, which is metanoia, translates much more richly. Mm-hmm. A change of heart and mind is perhaps the richest translation. Mm-hmm. And then if you're starting to look for the fruits of changing your heart and mind, mm-hmm. uh, you're really traveling, I think, mm-hmm. uh, more than you are just sort of um, popping up on television saying, I'm very sorry for this mm-hmm. thing that's gone wrong. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's Stanley Howes. He says, he's been on one of our good pods recently. He says, I think something like, you know, that to repent is a theological achievement in the sense that it, and I think what he means by it is that there's something about repentance that acknowledges who I am before God and who I am yes. in myself. That mm-hmm. repentance is actually placing myself in the presence of God and realizing that I am I am not God. And that I am not only not God in the sense that I am not the creator, I am the creation, but I am a deeply fallen bit of creation. And actually it, it needs a lot of knowledge of God, but it also needs a lot of knowledge of yourself to be able to repent. Because if you don't know yourself very well, you tend to think, well, I've done anything wrong. I've got nothing to say sorry about. But if you do know yourself well, you realize that whether you're in prison or not, there are still things that that every day, if you have that sort of sensitivity to God and sensitivity to yourself, there are things you do which you think, oh, no, that, that was not right. That was I need to repent of that. And um, so I, I, it's a quite a significant, significant thing, repentance. Yes. It's not just, a, as you say, a, something you tread on someone's toe on the tube. It's a kind of deeply theological act that says something about who we are, who God is, and actually, as you say, Jonathan, brings the possibility of change. Yes. Actually, without repentance, there can't be change because we are, we stay in denial. Truth that sets you free. Yeah, exactly. It's about repentance. And, yeah. in, in the sort of furnace of prison, uh, you can kind of test these things much more quickly. For example, it is a test of repentance mm-hmm. to say no to a pusher who's trying to get you to take some drugs off him. It's um, repentance to sort of... Um, go up to the most unlovable prisoner in the whole jail and ask him how he is and speak to him when other prisoners aren't. It's a mm. r- repentance to um, t- stop swearing and mm. to yeah. throw away those porn magazines. So you mm. can mm. test it quite quickly. Mm. Uh, and It does bring bring change, doesn't it? I, I was thinking this morning, actually, I was on the rushing on my way to the train station and uh, I found myself sitting behind someone who was walking incredibly slowly. And I was thinking, oh, why is this stupid person walking so slowly? Can't they, <laughs> can't they hurry up a little bit? And as I passed them, I realized they were just a, quite an elderly um, sort of black lady I was, I was passing. And um, there was something in me that suddenly thought, hang on a minute, that was not right. <laughs> I actually had to, you know, repent, confess at that moment. Um, because I'm sorry, God, that was a bad, bad sort of attitude and thought. And, um, and I find when I do that, it means that next time I'm in that situation, I'm able to somehow recognize the sin that's waiting yes. for me mm. better than if I'd not acknowledged it. And I, you know, I think if I'd you know, done that and gone on with my day, oh, stupid person, why are they, why are they moving so slowly? You'd do the same thing over and again, yeah. wouldn't you? There's yes. something about repentance that actually acknowledges, identifies the sin, says, yeah, I did that, that was wrong, I'm sorry for it, doesn't make any excuses, which makes it that much more possible that next time that same temptation comes up that you might not do it because you've identified it, you've named it, 
and you've set your faith against it, as it were. And um, so that's again why I think you know repentance is a theological achievement because it's it's God allowing you to see something in yourself that you otherwise wouldn't see. And it's a theological discipline, then, isn't it? Because it builds habits of yeah. a new life. Yes. Um, and it's interesting. It's, it's easy to think of the sort of positive habits of a new life: prayer and mm-hmm. um, fasting, and so on. But actually, um, constantly repenting that then builds a different view of of how you're going to interact with the world is also a discipline. Yeah, yeah. It needs to be undertaken daily, presumably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there are things that actually prison can yeah. teach us yes. in its extremes, it seems to me. The prison is, is a place of extremes, isn't it? It's a place of extreme emotion, extreme violence sometimes, extreme honesty, sometimes much more honest than you get outside. And because of that extremity it sometimes sheds light on the rest of life in a way that's quite quite remarkable it sounds as though your life has then has now gone in a very different direction jonathan from what, what you might that? have imagined <laughs> yes um i think on the point of you know what you could learn in prison and i certainly learned an enormous amount but i wasn't very good at it at first but loving the unlovable neighbor uh, is a daily challenge because there are some fairly obnoxious people mm-hmm. um, and yet if you get sometimes below the surface and understand what's on their mind why is somebody being so angry in the um, prison food queue and yeah. or the queue for um, telephones but sometimes if you actually stop and ask and there are some sort of prison language is, have you had a knockback, meaning bad news or a blow? And th- then he says, thanks for asking, mate. Mm. As a matter of fact, mm. you know, my daughter was knocked over by a bus or something. Yeah. And you, 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 yep. So um, having the time to in, in a community really to explore why mm. um, you might be able to love somebody better when it doesn't look easy to do on the surface and can you carry on doing that in a more dif- diffuse kind of where you're not standing yeah, in a cute I, I, I certainly try I mean, yeah. <laughs> I probably meet less unlovable people well, <laughs> smaller numbers but you never know, you never know. No. I suppose you get less intense time with them perhaps but yeah. Yeah. And, uh, one of the things you were talking about earlier on was um, people who do work in prisons and uh, uh, there's someone I, I've begun to do a bit of work in, in prisons and actually found it a very um, enriching experience to begin to get to know prison life and see some of the incredible work that's done by chaplains and mm. other volunteers. I suppose a lot of people are f- afraid of prisons. They kind of think, well, I can't go there because it's a rather nasty place. It's kind of full of violent people and, you know, and, and it's quite good it's hidden away. What, what would you say to someone who is thinking about maybe finding a new avenue of ministry, maybe thinking of, you know, visiting a prison, being a volunteer in prison? What would you say to someone like that? Well, there are certainly some problems um, about people rushing to visit prisons or to do ministry in prisons. And I think a bit of a gap has opened up between um, God's chaplains and God's church. There's a bit of an offshore island approach Mm. to prisons. And why do people not want to make the journey there spiritually or even physically? Well, it's quite difficult. Um, There are things to be... feared about, afraid about. Um, And 
in actual fact, the warmth of prisoners towards people who come in to um, help them minister them is, is um, uh, very attractive. Mm. And I often tell people, you know, you'll be surprised mm. how pleased they are to see you. Mm. If you're a woman, don't be scared. You'll never dare think of um, doing a wrong move in your direction, um, especially in some sort of a group. Uh, because um, they are just grateful. Um, how can you encourage more people to go into prison ministry? Well, I think, uh, I believe, um, maybe I've seen too much of it, but I really do believe that this is God's work in a very special and very fulfilling way. Uh, and so people who do it, um, they on the whole are fulfilled servants of the Lord. They can see what they're doing. Um there are other problems with chaplains who uh, get um, dumped on by the system mm. to do far too much work. I always remember one evening I was seeing a chaplain with a good relationship in one of the prisons. He said, oh, I'm absolutely exhausted. He said, um, uh, I've been monitoring international phone calls all afternoon. It's hard to think of an occupation <laughs> further removed the cure of souls. <laughs> yeah. having to, but. That you know, yeah. if you talk, I've been talking on the phone to a lot of prison chaplains in advance of a conference this here in a few days' time, and just trying to suss out you know what their anxieties, pressures are, and they're all ridiculously overworked mm. with tasks which are a long way from the vocational calling. Jonathan, thank you very much indeed for joining us on um, Godpod today. It's been fascinating to talk about both your experience, but also delve into some of the theology of repentance and change and redemption and um, the possibility of finding God in prison. Because as you say, uh, prisoners are people. And um, in many ways, uh, I'm always struck by that verse in Hebrews where it says, you know, visit those in prison as if you were in prison yourself. We don't visit prison from some great moral high ground where the righteous people and here are the bad people but we visit as fellow human beings in need of God's grace and, and mercy and you've helped us to see some of that today so um, we're really grateful to you for joining us on Godpod and um, so it's um, goodbye from Jane it is, it's goodbye from Jane thank you very much for having me and uh, we'll, we'll see you next time for the next Godpod Godpod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.